Hello, everyone. This is Travis J. Vernon, and welcome to today's podcast. So here it is, close to the end of 2021, and it's been the most bizarre hunting season for me in a long time. Nancy and I are both very blessed in that last year we both shot really nice bulls. So our freezer's full, and we go through a lot of elk meat, but I wasn't really stressed this year about putting meat in the freezer. So one of the things that I did is I guided a lot more during September and October, when normally I don't, except for a few guide trips that I'll do for an outfitter. Just because from time to time it is fun to get onto private land and see big bulls and see big mule deer. So this year I had some pretty interesting experiences, and I have to admit a couple of them were pretty disappointing, I'll say. It surprises me how much money people will spend on things that don't matter for hunting and fishing and how they'll not prepare after spending that kind of money. I had two sports this year chasing mule deer on a ranch in Wyoming. And on the very first day, I'm talking to them and kind of getting the feel of what their expectations are, what their capabilities are. I'm a pretty big guy, but I hike a ton. So I like putting four or five, six miles on my boots a day looking for big mule deer, big elk. And a lot of times people will see me and be like, ah, oh, you're not going to be able to keep up with us today. It's like, well, we'll have this conversation tomorrow. So these two sports show up, both of them shooting good guns, one shooting a 7mm, one shooting a 300 Win Mag, both long range guns. And I ask them what they're comfortable shooting. And the one says he doesn't want to shoot anything past 200 yards. And the other said he's comfortable out to 300 yards. My heart instantly sang, most shots in Wyoming are going to be 300, 300 plus. Now, granted, great hunters, you're going to hear people talk about getting in nice and close and how important it is. Now, I'm primarily an archery hunter. I love getting in super close to animals. But when you have somebody with you that you've not hunted with your whole life, it does make it a little more complicated. You don't understand the little nuances that each other has. You don't understand the capabilities or what they normally do or don't do or what they expect you to do, or what you expect them to do, when you can't communicate. So that being said, I expect my hunters to be accurate. I do not like an animal to be wounded. It needs to be a clean kill. And I work really, really hard to get hunters into an opportunity. A lot of preseason scouting, a lot of time on the ranch glassing. And I think that's one of the really big differences between guiding hunters and guiding fishermen. Chances are you're going to have lots of opportunities on fish. Now, at any given moment, that fish may be a giant or it might be the smallest fish in the stream. There's no way to know until you hook up and get it in the net. When you're hunting animals, you're making those calls through the glass. You're seeing how large an animal is, whether it's a good representation of its species, whether it has something unique or a characteristic that the, the hunter may enjoy by putting that on the wall. Every animal I have on the wall has a story behind it. And I know those stories and I relive those stories. And clients that I've hunted with will call and reminisce and text me. And it's just one of those things that it's a bond. And the whole part of hunting comes around for me when you're sharing that kill, not just sharing the story, but sharing the food. 
which is another reason that I want my hunters to be very confident and accurate with their weapons. I want a clean kill. We don't want damaged meat. And then we want to make sure that we're in a location where we're going to be able to get that meat out quickly. When you're in a ranch that most of your shots are going to be 400 yards to 500 yards, you really, really need to practice at those ranges. So when people come out and tell me that they're not comfortable past 200 yards, it just makes my job that much harder. So on day one, we get to 300 yards of a couple of really nice 4x4 mule deer bucks. Neither guy will shoot. They don't feel comfortable. Day two, find some really nice deer. Big buck walks out at 325. Now this one's a big 4x4 with brow tines, probably 26, 27 inches wide. Beautiful buck. 325 yards. And they both pass again. Now the one guy passed because he fell and was worried that his gun had been knocked off, that the scope had been adjusted, but didn't tell me about it until we were on a big buck. That communication with your guide is so important. So at this point, I had something happen to me that I have never had happen in my life. My client says, I know that's a big deer, but there's a football game that's going to start at 1 o'clock, and I really want to see it. So how about one of us stays here and watches the deer, and you drive me back out to the hotel so I could watch my football game? I honestly thought he was joking, and I looked at him and I laughed, and he said, no, I'm serious, I really want to go watch this game. I'm like, sir, we're on the best buck I've seen on this ranch, and you want to sneak out to watch a football game? And he said, yes, that was exactly what he wanted to do. So there I am, sitting at my house, waiting to get a text that the game was over, to come pick him back up and take him back and meet his friend who had stayed on the mountain and was going to watch the deer. Now, I know this didn't happen, him watching the deer, that is, because I got a text later as a part of a group text asking for the score because he was having a hard time watching the game on his phone. This is mystifying to me that somebody would spend that kind of money and would be more interested in a football game, but it's their money. So I do the best I can to provide the experience that those people are after. Now we snuck back in, tried to set up on the deer, and he'd already gone up and over the top of the mountain, never to be seen again. Few other opportunities, and neither of those guys ended up getting a mule deer. Now a little bit later on, about two weeks, I had a gentleman who had saved up his money, who had told his wife that once they were financially stable, his dream was to come out west and hunt elk. So he and I are paired up together, and I'd been scouting a couple elk. I'd seen one really nice bull. We snuck in on that bull in the morning. Not sure if it was the swirling wind. Perhaps I put him a little too close. He at least was comfortable out to 300 yards. So that gave me a little bit more distance. But something happened, and we bumped our herd. They went up and over into a different part of the ranch. That evening, we weren't even able to locate them. So the following morning, we snuck back in, got set up. So we get back up to where the elk herd had been bedding. And we find the tracks from the day before when they busted out. Now we were trying to be really careful not to put them off the ranch completely. Because there was a section of state land that it bordered. And I didn't have a permit to guide into the state land. So I could only guide my client right up to the border of that state land. 
So as luck would have it, it was so muddy and it was raining and snowing and it was pretty tough weather that the Polaris Ranger got completely bogged down with mud. So much mud that it shorted out the battery and I couldn't even turn the wheel. So we got dropped off by another guide who then got called out to pack out a moose that another client had harvested on a different ranch. In the meantime, they forgot that we were up there and we didn't have a ride off, which was fine for me. I like staying the whole day. That was one of the fun things I told my client on the first day. Do you have a sandwich? Do you have enough food and water in case we stay out here all day? And he didn't. So we didn't stay out all day that day, but I'd made sure that he had everything for the second day. Also at the end of the first day, we'd done about four miles. And on the way back to camp, talking to some of the other guides and clients at the outfitter's cabin, and said, man, four miles, is that what I should expect every day? And I said, no, but that's a good warm-up. So then some of the other guides started to giggle, and this client of mine, who's a super good guy, I really enjoyed spending time with him. He said, well, I was told that we'd be a couple hours of hunting in the morning and a couple hours hunting in the evening, and during the day we would most likely come back to the lodge and eat lunch. And the owner of the outfitter laughed and said, well, you got assigned to Travis, so everything's different for you. Well, that second day we were only in a couple miles. It wasn't a big deal. And I told him if you really wanted to get out, we could hike out. And we just start walking down the road. But I wanted to follow the tracks of those elk because I wanted to see which canyon they had gone into and then whether or not they had left that canyon. I figured if we could find them at least bedded, then we'd be able to have some sort of a plan for that evening. So we're hiking down this long two-track road on a ridge. We've got about two miles to get back to where my truck is. And I hear the faintest bugle. And I turn and look up the mountainside. And there's this bull. The one I'd been watching, the bigger of the bulls raking the only pine tree on the mountain and then I saw the cows around him so he still had his harem first part of October bugled he is right on the border of the ranch and state land so I tell my client look if we get down this mountain about a mile get to the edge of the border set up there if they continue to feed the way they're feeding they're going to feed past us it's going to be a 200 yard slam dunk shot now, I should have never said that. I know better than to curse myself. And yes, I'm superstitious when it comes to those kind of things. So we sneak down in, get set up. You know, one of those setups where you're just going to sit there for a long time. You're going to try and keep your feet from falling asleep. We ate a whole bunch of lawn yager sticks from my elk from the previous year. I had my absolute go-to sandwich, which is a PB&J on the mountain. But I make the triple decker. Because two sandwiches is just a little too much, but one sandwich isn't enough. So if I go with three slices of bread, peanut butter between the one slice, and then a little bit of jelly between the other, it's perfect. Now, the only thing about a PB&J that makes it better than that is when you forget about it in your backpack for about two days, and it gets smashed thin as a cracker. You're sitting there hungry, getting ready to take a nap, and you find that smashed triple-decker PB&J, best thing on the planet. But it can't be duplicated. You have to legitimately forget about it. So we sit there, enjoying our snacks, PB&J, jerky, lawn jogger sticks, 
elk continue to feed down the hill towards us after they get up. The elk bedded, sat there until it's probably two hours till dark. Cows started popping up, feeding around, moving down the hill towards us. Bull gets up, rakes another tree, following the cows. Like lead cows do, one got nervous, didn't know what was going on. They were still about 400 yards away. And she takes the herd over the ridge. So now I'm like, well, shoot, they're going to feed down that other draw. So I tell my client, look, we can get up to that ridge top. That's as far as I can guide you. If we hoof it really, really fast, now this is a little over half a mile. You got to go down a really steep hill, up a really steep hill. We should be able to shoot him in that next canyon. But that's as far as I can guide you. Now, another thing to note, every place I guide has a, if you draw blood, you punch your tag rule. If you make a bad shot on an animal, that's your hunt. You're done. Whether we find it or not, that's your hunt. Which I really appreciate because it makes people make better decisions. So we hoof it down, get up on the other side, and we can't find the elk. All of a sudden, I see the elk going out, not in the next canyon, but the canyon after that. I range them. They're at 475 yards. I take my backpack off, slide it over to my sport. He lays his gun across it. After a lot of discussion, I'm like, how steady are you at this range? Now, he happens to be shooting a 300 Win Mag, which is my go-to elk gun, shooting the exact same bullets that I shoot. So I know what the drop is on it. And I know that distance. It really boils down to whether he can stay steady and make a good shot. He says he feels really comfortable that it's as steady as can be, but he can't see the bull. So I walk him through the elk, and then he can finally see the bull, who's standing behind some really, really thick oak brush. A few moments goes by, he steps into the open, and I say, are you ready? I'll cow call and stop him. He said, yep, I'm all set. I cow call, the bull stops cold, shot fired, just underneath it. Like, you need to aim 13 inches higher. Second shot, solid hit. Bull turns, runs down the mountain, which is always a good sign. All the cows go over the top of the mountain. One more shot, another solid hit. Bull's down. Client made an amazing shot. Well, now there's not enough light to even get to him. We've got a mile to go down that canyon, get to the bottom, circle all the way around to the second canyon, and then climb all the way up through the oak brush to where that bull is. But we try it. About the 15th time my headlamp got ripped off the top of my head, I said, look, this is ridiculous. We're doing this in the dark. We really need to come back at first light. It's super cold. The meat will be fine. Might lose a little bit right by the hip joints. But we're going to walk in circles out here when it's not daylight. So we made that decision. Hiked out. And I could tell my sport was a little disappointed. He started to second guess that we were ever even going to find the elk. And I know that feeling. It's going to be a long night for him. As I'm hiking back out, I text the other guides. Let them know, hey, if you guys can come pick us up, that'd be great. Because we're still two and a half miles in and it's pitch black so they drive up grab us run us back to the truck we head out to the lodge and i can just tell my guy is down I'm like look this is the nature of the beast 
he went down in some tough area. You made a really good shot. I know for a fact he's down. It's super cold. It's 25 degrees all night long. We're going to find that bull. Next morning, head out there, glass the spot. We were about 500 yards downhill of that bull the night before. So we were way off. We wouldn't have found him the night before, even if we'd have stayed all night. Hike up and in there, find the bull right away, start quartering it up. By the time we get it all quartered out and a couple of the other guides had finished their morning hunt, they show up to help us pack it out. Now, these are the guides that the day before had helped pack out the moose. We get the elk packed out in one trip. There's four of us. Packs were extremely heavy. When we got back to the truck, and I will say I was super impressed with my client. He took an entire front quarter and a bunch of other gear. So again, phenomenal. Super good dude. Both of the guides who had packed out the moose said that they would rather pack out a moose than ever have to pack out one of my elk again. I mean, even the day before, the outfitter was up on top of the mountain glassing and had seen those elk leaving that canyon. He heard the shots and then that evening texted me, hey, it looks like somebody on state land got your bull. I replied, no, that was me. His reply was, you shot that elk there? You stupid. And then there were some expletives. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need some help getting him off the mountain. It's a pretty thick spot. Well, as it worked out, the bull was spectacular. Technically a seven by seven. He's got a perfect six on his left side with a big sticker that goes right out the side. The other side is a big whale tail five, but the top of his fifth is a crown of three. Just a cool, unique bull. I mean, for somebody to save up, go on their very first Western hunt, and have this be the elk they harvest? Outstanding. Just absolutely outstanding. Now, for those of you that get offended by the word harvest, we killed that bull. I use the word harvest interchangeably with kill. Some people use it to try and lessen the blow. But no, we killed that animal. We tagged it. It got butchered. In fact, I just got a text from the client a couple days ago. They were eating their first big meal of elk, and they were so excited because it was so delicious. So that's how I spent most of my hunts this year, was actually guiding. Did a bunch of fishing trips. And when I got back close to where I live, I was trying to get all the mud off my truck when a friend of mine from church rolls up. And he's telling me about his son's first bull elk. So we were looking at pictures and everything was happy, happy. And then he said, so apparently you're in a little bit of trouble with your wife. I'm like, what? So yeah, I guess you guys have only hunted for three hours together this entire year. So at that point, I realized, oh, yeah, I'm in trouble. So since then, we've hunted for two full days. We almost got it done on a couple of cow elk. We just could not get them to take that last step. Saw over 100 elk that day, 200 yards from a couple of cows that would not step out of the bushes. The bull didn't care. He was standing around right in the wide open. We could have smoked the bull over and over again. But we've just got a couple of late season cow tags. Wasn't able to harvest an elk, wasn't able to harvest a deer because I spent all my time guiding. But this is one of those years that I could do it. So some takeaway points. If you're going to spend a bunch of money and go out west and hunt, make sure you talk to the outfitter about what the average shot range is going to be. And then for the love, practice at more than that range so that you're comfortable at the average ranges. 
makes such a difference and it opens up so many more opportunities. Also, I don't care how much you love football. If you're sitting on an animal that's bedded, you can watch the highlights on YouTube later. Please, please listen to your guide when you pay him. And I'm not saying that every guide knows everything. But a football game? Come on. A football game? Uh, well, it's been a good guide season. Had a ton of fun. I think I've got one more fish trip on the books just before Christmas. Might have a couple more pop in because we're not getting any snow now. So the ski season's going to be super delayed. And when those people roll into town and there's nothing to do, fishing pops up pretty often. And I've been able to make everything okay with Nancy. She has forgiven me for not hunting with her as much as I should have. So I'll do a better job of managing my hunting and fishing time work versus my time play. They're both still hunting and fishing, but they're different. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Get out there and live your stories.